0: My dude, today's podcast with Ben Killoy, the dad coach. Uh, Absolutely love this conversation. Two two big takeaways. One, LinkedIn is an amazing resource. If somebody intrigues you, I was intrigued by him and his screen-free parenting that just caught my attention, something I want in my life. So I, I hit him up. So a plug for reaching out. We talk about this in the podcast, saying hello, putting hellos out there for opportunity, you know, and opportunities arise from those. Um, So, so use your, use your network, use the socials for something meaningful. Uh, That's how we got Ben. And then two, man, the intentionality and the tactics that he brought to being a better dad just absolutely blew me away. Yeah, man. We actually like, no kidding, get down to some action items,
1: some, some to do things, you know, when things happen Um, and, uh, and, you know. I actually get a little bit uh, vulnerable and get a, get close to some teary eyes. Uh, so, uh, you know, Shocker. listen, <laughs> listen in. This is a great conversation uh, and, and not just for dads. Like this is just for parents in general. Um, great conversation. So go listen. You're listening to filling the storehouse podcast. I'm David. And I'm Stuart. And we want to walk with you on the journey to living the abundant life through faith, family, and freedom. Our goal is to refine our why while helping you find yours. Together, achieve our best and highest purpose. In the end, we'll drag each other to intentionally fill our storehouse. All right. So uh, we have Ben Kaloy on uh, with the subtitle of the dad coach. And I'm really excited about this conversation because uh, my business partner, David. Uh, he needs a lot of coaching in this department. So uh, Ben, yeah. if after this episode, um, could we have a little extra session for mentorship um, that uh, dives into all of David's problems? Would, would that be okay? Yeah,
2: I, it's all on board. I and mean, we can even dive into it here. I've had many podcast episodes where I've opened myself up to my life problems and let the guest, like walk me through the problem yeah. of like, this is where I need help. Can you help me please?
0: Yeah, typically, hey, ben, I mean, and I'm a- I'm excited about it, Ben, but um, also I'm just kind of curious is part of your, you know, part of your coaching program uh, helps people to become more self-aware. Is that part of it?
2: (laughs) Self-awareness is one part of it, but also there is like this um, component to self-awareness of how life has been happening for you and not always to you. So a lot of times, depending on how your life unfolded earlier on, you either learn that you maybe played the victim card as a family, or as that's how you learned that like you just never had anything. And it was always someone else's problem that kind of portrays you into life. And even if you can have everything around you that everybody would say is a perfect American dream, it can still end up being an American hell. And that idea of it happening for you is really the shift in perspective, because once you realize it's happening for you, part of my coaching is how, how, how has your life unfolded in a way that we can actually take that and convert it to jet fuel instead of dead weight.
0: Yeah, man, I love that. And Stu. So I only asked that because Stu, you basically described Stu in the beginning of that, just a victim, just uh yeah. you know, life happening to him, not taking, not taking life by the, by the, mm. you know, the bull by the horns, not, I mean he rides more cows than bulls anyways, but I mean it's are just you you know, a lot of things. Are you
2: recovering the yours Like, did you walk no. around saying like, oh man, just another oh, day. Just another now. day.
1: Hey, before <laughs> we get into before we get into this therapy session for for the two of us, let's let's get a little bit of background. Uh Ben, uh, if, if you could for our audience, uh, who are you? What do you do? Where you came from, and, and what are you doing now?
2: My name is Ben Cloy. I'm the dad coach. I am here in southern Wisconsin. I right out of high school, joined the Marine Corps, traveled nice. to Okinawa for three years and lived there. And what the Marine Corps taught me was a lot of things that I didn't really understand at the time, but I wouldn't understand until about 10 years later. So I got out of the Marine Corps in 2007, and I adopted what I call the standard code of what they give you, get a job, start a family, do everything that you're supposed to. And the problem with all that was it was someone else's plan. And 10 years later, it ended up being my American hell instead of my American dream. And that was really the crux of where my journey started in 2014 to where I am today. And that journey from 2014 to now is really doing what I do with my coaching, essentially taking your life, pulling it apart, rewiring it a way that it flows. It allows you to understand who you are, who you can become, who you're called to become and helping you enter this idea that the real you matters and how do you represent that every day versus putting on a face that the world tells you you need to have that often feels like it's one that's not you.
0: Yeah. Ben, I'm curious what, um, let's get a little bit specific. What, what caused you to recognize and then even more important, what was the catalyst that, that pushed you to take action to, to make a change and, and, uh, do things differently.
2: So there was kind of two points of inflection. One I had just turned 30 in 2014 as well. And so it was kind of like my first midlife crisis and earlier midlife crisis than I was even prepared for. And there was also this trigger point of Jay Leno just left the Tonight Show and he left the Tonight Show for the final time. And everybody at the end came out and thanked Jay for him being in their life and what he did for them. And I was thinking this very morbid thought of, I don't think anybody is going to give a shit at the end that I was here that like my life won't have any significance and no one's going to say like, I am so glad that Ben was who he was to me in my life. And it made me realize like something's not right. And that combined with, I was going to college and also not doing well. And I dropped out because I was like, you know what? I need to take a break and figure something out. So that also kind of pulled the rug out on me because I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what I was going to do next. That was supposed to make everything better and figuring out who I could become in all of this was really difficult and the part that was like the inflection point was someone gave me this insight that said if you want a result in your life you never had been you need to start doing things you've never done and that hit me pretty hard so i was like okay this there's something to this so when i dove down to it i was like you know what you've never had been friends you've always wanted friends but you've never really had a core group of friends that like were there for you and i was like okay well why don't i have friends Well, turns out you asked girls out in high school and they said no. So that like rejection feeling was subconsciously planted that you should just avoid talking to people and avoid getting rejected. And I was like, well, that's not a very good reason to have friends in a modern world or a 30 year old guy, at least. And so I was like, let's try to change that. And a very simple place for me was the park. There was always dads there. And I always wanted to say hello. But I was like, you know what? We both had a long day. We probably just want to play with our kids. And I never would until one day I did. And then finds out we were both just playing chicken. And repeating that process of saying hello to enough people just allowed me to realize there was more to me than I could see. Like, for example, some of those very early people that I would meet would be like, Ben, the way you put words together isn't like other people. And I'm like, huh, no one's really ever said that before. And extrapolate that over the next 10 years. Here I am as a podcaster and professional speaker putting words together. And it was that reflection that I often say that we don't really know we need from friends to be the reflection that I couldn't see. Because depending on how your story unfolded, and in my story, I didn't really have a clear understanding of who I was. And so to help me understand who that was, I needed people around me to reflect back some of the parts that I couldn't see through the fog or the beer goggles of what I was hearing in my own head. And even now doing many more things in coaching, I understand there was lots of stories at play and that were limiting from that. But that reflection allowed me to get some breadcrumbs to where I am today.
0: Hey, Stu, before your question, I know you got one, but I love that word picture of playing chicken because you can see it. You can see it. And and I've never really been one that uh, has been shy. And so oftentimes, but even, even, you know, at the park, sometimes I'm like, well, you know, I I just, maybe I don't want to talk or feel like talking or whatever. But when you do, it's always this, you know, and, and it really caused Stu and I, you know, fast forwarding that it caused us to start a, a mastermind focused around dudes and becoming better friends, husbands, fathers, but this friend piece of it, this fun piece is, is such a big part of it. And I just love how you kind of, you know, you can, I could just picture dudes, dads at the park, like kind of dancing around like, Oh, should I say hi? Should I say no? like, I'm like, I'm kind of nervous. What if he says, you know, whatever. And it's, it, I just love how you uh, frame that. That's awesome.
2: There's a good bluey episode that highlights two dads in the bluey ep- episode, like, checking with each other and eventually become good friends. And at the end, they walk over and have breakfast at each other's house.
1: That's a great show. My, my kids love that show, actually. Um, so so what is it? So, you know, besides um, having enough courage to say hey to another dad at the park, like what, what else did you take action on? You know, you said you started to surround yourself around other people and doing some reflection and kind of finding out what that looks like, you know, your innermost self. What is that like action steps for 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 men listening to this? what does that mean like does that mean they just need to start going to parks with their kids and start you know opening up and talking to to more dudes or purposefully find you know groups of men uh do more thinking time in the mornings like what 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 were the action steps that you kind of started doing for yourself?
2: There's two kind of things that I shortcut that what most people not even just men but most people in general are missing We don't have enough depth to who we are. We don't really understand why we do things. We don't understand our quirks. And we also don't have enough width. We don't have enough wide enough view of the world. And I didn't either. I grew up on a farm. I was very isolated. I was anti-culture for many things. There's many things in the Marine Corps. I had my first Chinese when I was in Camp June at 18 years old. So like there was many things in this world that I wasn't exposed to. So my view of the world was limited. And when it's limited, how you fit into it is di- is difficult to figure out. Like you think that life's like three or four lanes wide. In reality, it's like a million lanes wide. So depending on where you're at, the biggest thing that hellos can get you and the reason why it was so transformational for me is those hellos, each one allowed me to see the world slightly different than I saw it before through someone's jobs, what they did, how they set up their life, what they called happiness. Even when you travel, even living in Okinawa, looking back, there were so many different ways of life that these people had a smile on their face, even though it was different than how Americans define happiness. Like you don't need an Apple watch on your hand to have joy. And so to me, like that perspective, that width, and also what I say with, if a dad out there is struggling with opportunity in his life, where if you wanted to get a job or change careers, the big intermittent factor there is how much opportunity do you feel like you have in your life? Well, I've learned the hard way. If this was transported me back in 2007, it would have changed my life the more opportunity you have is directly proportional to the amount of hellos you're essentially putting out in the world to new people. And so that perspective is something that just allows you to see it differently and to break up some of the things that are stuck. Cause you often don't even know what's wrong or even that there is something wrong until someone comes up and you're like, Whoa, like that just like kind of freaked me out because of the way he talked, like those moments don't happen unless you introduce them. So that was my first step. The other like simple next steps is simply kind of just understanding where you are in your life. Like within my coaching, I always use a Google analogy that Google is a brilliant tool. It can take you anywhere in the globe, but it has two inherent flaws. If you don't know where you want to go, useless. And if you don't know where you are, it's also useless. That no matter what destination you have, no matter what destination you plug into, if you don't have a GPS location of where you are, it's useless. These two points are important to get you where you want to go. And most men don't really understand how they got there. And most men don't understand where they're going. And so to me, those two dissection of those two points gets you a lot of information about the roundabouts that they keep entering. And it's like the Truman Show roundabout in Men Army Times, you enter it, you end up in the same one. Or those that roundabout that you just keep feeling like it's this pattern of, you know what, I've just had three jobs in the last year and every one ended. And realizing like, you know what, maybe I'm the common denominator. Or thoughts like, you know what, all I do all day is fight fires. Maybe you should ask yourself if you're the arsonist, like these additional patterns of where you are are part of what's keeping you blocked, but you have to just kind of slow down and look at the the delay of the land of where you are. Once we figure out where you are, it's really easy to get you where you want to go. But if you don't have those two points, Google's useless. And it's those two points that I usually start with.
0: Yeah. I love that, man. Uh, You know, it's, and it's really interesting because one of the things that we really harp on and, and hit on as we talk with with our group of men is definitions, right? And and what you know, define, okay, so don't tell me you want to be comfortable if you don't know what comfortable means. Don't tell me you want to be successful if you have never defined success because it means nothing. There's, there's, it's just a word. It, it sounds good and everybody uses it, but it doesn't really get you. It doesn't tell you where you are gives you no measuring stick and you have no clue where you're going. So I love how you, I love how you frame that. And, and I think it's so, uh, it's such a critical part of growth is even understanding what, what these things mean to you truly mean to you, because I think most of us don't just don't even take the time to do that. Right. I mean, it's an, it's an, it's seriously as easy as a Google search. Okay. Success. It gets your mind, started going, going. And, and, and maybe success is not what you want at all. And so I think that's a a huge point you make, and and I and I really appreciate that. And so I'm curious. So it sounds to me like you know you got out of the Marine Corps, a lot of us you know get out of the military, and you went through a a seven year transition period, and and in 2014 you kind of started going down the path that, you know, you had that Google destination at least uh, more refined. And, and I, I'm just curious, what, you know, what did that what did that specifically from a. Um, a career perspective. What did that look like? Like, how did you? So you started personally saying hi to people and the opportunities. But what kind of opportunities arose, and how did you take advantage of them? Was it just you know 2014? Okay, I'm a coach now, or how how did that how did that kind of evolve?
2: It really evolved in a long, long-winded answer. So I was also an employee. I had a job, and I was also not happy where I was at. So I was looking for careers in other places. But I also ran into this problem where I didn't know a lot of the things that I know now, but I wasn't able to get job interviews. Like I'd always run into this like complicated angle. Like I feel like I'm too gray for a black and white job description. And I never could understand how to communicate my my value or what my resume needed to say in a way that the people would want to say it. So early on, I was very frustrated trying to shift to figure out something. Because at the core, like initially, all I did was I want to understand leadership. So I just started reading a bunch of leadership books and I dove it full into it. And that worked and it helped me and it taught me a lot of different things. But what really kind of got the needle is just simply starting to write. So I started to blog online. I started writing. And it was this writing that was this kind of weird thing that happened. Because when I would write something, I would look at it and read it back. And I'm like, huh, that's kind of that's pretty good advice. I should probably take that. And the the, for me, at least, I always have so many ideas and so many things that I could do. But the benefit of writing was that one version of it came out and there was one particular one that I did. I wrote a letter to myself in the context of a friend who was telling me why I was worth it. So I titled it Am I Worth It? And it's a friend writing a letter to myself, but I'm writing it. And so it's kind of weird exercise. And all of a sudden I'm writing along and I say still to this day, probably the most profound thing I've ever said to myself is like, Ben, you still think that all these people in your life are the reasons that are holding you back, the bullies, all these people that said you couldn't, all of these stories. But I want you to understand something, that early in life, people pushed you down so that later in life, you'd be ready to pull people up. And it was that shift, that little mantra there that converted a lot of my pain to a purpose. And understanding that led me to launch Military Veteran Dad in 2019, which was my first podcast, which was kind of like a test to prove myself wrong that. Guys like me can do podcasts because there was a story in my head that said guys like you don't do podcasts. And so I did that and I understood that like, you know what, I've got a lot more things to say than I have every time to say it. So then eventually morphed into a second podcast, The Business of Fatherhood, which is a daily short podcast where it's just me talking and realizing that I had a lot of things to say and organizing words was something I was good at. So for me, it morphed into like a year long or multiple year expression of Expressing myself with my words, understanding what I was saying, and moving that into like, there's something here that can help people. I like helping people. And in a lesson that finally come full six, a full 360 th- almost 20 years ago. So in high school, I was really good at electricity. The Marine Corps thought I was good with electricity too, so they made me a generator mechanic. When I got out, I worked for a generator manufacturer troubleshooting them. I taught people how to troubleshoot them. I was going for an electrical engineering degree. And I left all of that world behind in 2014. And I was really good at it. I loved it. I thrive on electricity in my mind, but I wasn't really good at the mathematics is really what I fell down on. And so I'm struggling between 2014 and like 2021. And I'm like, what idiot just leaves this whole love behind and pursues all this stuff that's really difficult and hard to make do when there's people out there having thriving families, making good salary, And they do what electricity, like why? What kind of idiot does this to himself? And then I'm in the grocery store and it hits me like a bolt of lightning, pun intended, because it hit me that electricity is energy and people are energy. What I love troubleshooting electricity was in my mind is very similar to troubleshooting and helping a dad's energy as well. Finding that relay, that diode, plugging it in and watching it come alive. It's kind of like the Inside Out movie where that whole island comes alive when that person's there and that's functioning or that core memory is there. That's essentially what I've converted. And now that story and that even lesson has allowed me to understand like I was good at something, but I was just applying it in the normal way, not in the ways that you don't often know about. And that people are energy and troubleshooting it is very similar to troubleshooting a circuit as well.
0: Yeah, sorry. And just for context, when did you start your coaching business?
2: I started my coaching business in 2021, right? So a little bit before that, in 2020, I lost my job that I had. So Right before Corona hit, I lost my job. And then in 2020, that I became a stay-at-home dad. And then in 2021, I launched my coaching business as a way to keep my stay-at-home dad job going, to be here with the kids, and to essentially get my business in a way that allowed myself to not trade time and money for memories with my kids.
1: It's awesome, man. How old are your kids?
2: My kids are now 10, 8, and 6.
1: 10, 8, 6. and that's awesome. That's almost exactly like Dave. Yeah. Um, Dude... Have, so have you have you watched the documentary uh, Stutz on? I have on- not.
2: It's on my watch list though. I have uh, had
1: I've, many friends have told me that there's a yeah, lot of man. like page t- note taking that you do within that movie. There is, and and uh, I one of the members of our storehouse mastermind just just told us about it. And So I went home like that night and watched it after uh, last week's call. And what you were telling us about your journey like fits perfectly. What um the therapist Stutz, uh, he he calls uh, the life force and it's, it's basically a pyramid. And he said, if you work on the life force, everything else will fall in place. And the life force pyramid is there's, there's three tiers. Like the first one is, is body. Yeah. You have to work on your sleep, your diet, your nutrition, your fitness. Next one is people. You have to surround yourself with people. You have to create relationships and connections and community and then the top one is yourself and you work on yourself through journaling and you journal to find your purpose. And so like you talking about that sounds exactly like, that's what you <laughs> it did. It very much
2: like what I did. It's with what you very did. Out of body experience. Be like, Hey, that was me.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's freaking awesome, man. And so, you know, I'm curious, like when, now that you're, you've gone through that and, and you're coaching men, you know, to to find their purpose and their why are, are, do you recommend journaling? I mean, is that, is that one of the the steps that, that you're taking uh, to tell people to walk through? Cause I'm not a very good journal. I've started, I, I journal, but like almost like the five minute journal, like Tim Ferris, like what's going to be good today. What am I grateful for? Uh, how's today going to go? And, and it's not like full blown, like writing style journaling. You know what I mean? It's more like bullet, bullet style. I'm, I'm curious, like, what's your thoughts on that? So I do, in my coaching, I have
2: the, the client's uh, journal and it's more, um, it's not like defined, like here's your journal response. But oftentimes it's just telling a story kind of journaling. I've done the daily journal and stuff and I've always struggled and I always somehow end up like, especially like even thinking of things you're grateful for. I remember early on like, 2016 i was trying the journaling and i was like i just keep coming back to socks like i'm just grateful for socks like i can't <laughs> think of anything else and i'm just tired of being grateful for socks so i ended coffee. up not doing I,
1: I go to coffee a lot <laughs>
2: <laughs> but the idea is that, like when you express in journaling a story there is a powerful part of what i've learned especially even this year this is something i've really believed even more is the crux of what holds us back really comes back to vocabulary Most of our problems is we just lack the words or words. Sometimes like one word can change your life. Even that that word put in there is like, poof, the whole damn comes out. And those words and structures gives allows you to look at it from your front part of your brain, your prefrontal cortex, because the back part of your brain, you can make any story true back there. You can make a story true that your life is worth nothing and take it. Or you can make a story back there that your life is amazing and you can go create it. But when you put something on paper, your brain has to think about it. Your brain has to read it. And that part of that process allows you to like think rationally. Like, you know what? That's a, like my story with the girls. Like, that's a silly thought. Like, why would you do that? Realizing the, the truth that you, after you write it and being able to look at it objectively, I think is the power in journaling. So what I always recommend is identifying stories that we never have told that we maybe feel are hel- holding us back or a moment, because what there's a process I always repeat within the screen-free parenting is your brain works like Google. It's very lazy. So when a moment happens in front of you, your brain first says, have I been here before? And it can access the subconscious files. And so it goes in and Googles in the SQL server and says, where can I find a memory like this? And if it finds it, it just pastes it in there and finding and slowing down that process and journaling about that memory that was pasted in there, can often allow you to realize like you know what that's not the memory i want to paste in there i want to paste something new but you've only got about 3 to 5 seconds to interrupt this process which is where meditation and mindfulness comes in slowing you down slowing your thinking down introducing more pausing because your pasting is what's creating your life your response is your the sum of your events in your life so if you want a different response like me you got to slow it down decide what you want and say in my case hello which was something different than what my brain was pasting in there from before.
0: Yeah. We, uh, we had a, actually just dropped this we dropped yesterday a, a podcast with a gentleman who started it's called the freedom fight. And it's specifically, it deals with the porn addiction and sexual addiction and, and as men to how to, you know, within the context of the church and in our relationships uh, and he talks about the addiction cycle and then he he brings up this, this tactic called brace and it's the first step in brace is breathe. And, you know, it's something that just being conscious of, you know, like you said, slow it down, just being conscious of, of taking a breath. And I failed, I probably failed 35 times last night. Uh, I had two basketball games. The kids, all the kids were there in between games. The boys were absolutely terrible human beings. Um, and so I failed a number of times in public, but, but I realized, and I'm telling them, I'm like, boys, just take a breath before you punch each other in the face. Like just maybe, and maybe you won't punch each other in the face, just take a breath. But I don't do that myself. Right. I I just, I, and I, and it's, it's good to hear it because, you know, that's what intrigued me about when I reach out to you, you know, we met via LinkedIn and the screen-free parenting was what, uh, orig- initially, just caught my attention because I want to be a very intentional dad who doesn't just go to yelling, right? And like the way I grew up, my dad went immediately to times are different now, but he went immediately to the belt, and so that was like the yelling. That was his version of yelling. There wasn't a lot of yelling; it was just belt. And and so I don't want to do that, but I also so I've reverted. You know, sometimes revert to this, just like yelling at him, just stop. And and the idea of being able to control that, get beyond that and understanding like you just beautifully laid out, it's a brain process, right? And the more that we have been, you know, I've been reading about uh, brain stuff and, and it's, it's, I did not realize how lazy the brain is and how it just draws from these things. And you just, and you have these, um, you know, it it makes connections and it just wants to, it does not want to work. And so you react. So I'm just curious for you, you know, give us some practical tips, you know, besides slow it down. Like, what do you do to slow it down? What do you, how have you uh, grown in this process of being a screen-free coach and, and some of the tactics that you use to help dudes like me, uh, not embarrass myself, my family and my entire name, uh, you know, in public, uh, gyms where, where kids are playing basketball and being terrible human beings.
2: There's a couple of things that I keep as my foundation. And this in the book, The Scream-Free Parenting as well, that our responsibility to our kids is to be the best version. We are not responsible for our kids. We are responsible to them. That right there is the barrier for your thinking, that if you accept responsibility for your kids, you're going to have kids in 25 playing Xbox in your basement. The crux of parenting is we spend two years in the first beginning doing it for them. And then we spend the next 16 trying to get them to do it for themselves. And in every moment, there is a question is, am I accepting responsibility for my kids? And depending on how you answer that is how you peel or peel it back and get you to maybe a different solution. And for example, like, like letting the natural consequences of things happen, or even, for example, one area where I'm consistently reapplying these is our morning bus routine. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's a shit show. And sometimes it's like, man, that was rough. A lot of the times, it's just building. Wait, these so little for
0: clarification, scenarios. you do have good ones. Like you, you have a good column because mine is just uh, the yes. Good we do have not, some good times. Enough. That's good. Congratulations. Happy for you.
2: <laughs> and the idea is, though, like one thing that we really struggle with as parents, especially in public, is we derive meaning from what other people are thinking around us about our parenting. So realizing that when we accept responsibility for our kids, we're doing that so that other people will look and think we're normal. And the reality is, like, they don't spend two things things about it. Even if they did, they're just ignoring their own shit show at home. And and the reality is, like, I am still me. So part of, like, what I've had to do within the Scream Free idea is detach that I'm still me despite the chaos around me. And my desire to change the world around me in front of me is a result of it not being okay on the inside. So the more work you can do to just naturally be okay on the inside and be okay with whatever the world's on the outside bringing you, the more you can control your responses. In the context of like hitting the ground running and what you can do is it really comes down to presenting kind of two choices. There's always this two choice formula in the book that he presents and it's this idea that there's the easy way and the hard way. I'm perfectly capable of remaining cool, calm, and collective as an adult representing of what adults should be for both of these. The choice is yours though. We can do it the hard way and we can fight all the way to the bus or the easy way is you do these three things. We ended up doing it well and we all both have a great day. You have to be willing to accept both consequences or as an adult, you have to be willing to implement those cool, calm, and collective, but realize they don't have a meaning on you. Like if my five-year-old or six-year-old is melting down, that doesn't define who I am. That just means that she's melting down. She's six. And there's another kind of language that I use to kind of chill myself out a little bit as well is I'm 38 years old. I do not have life figured out. So who the hell am I to say that a 10 and 8 and a six-year-old have it figured out when they've only been here on planet Earth for 10 to 8 and 6 years? Like realizing the reality of, you know what? They've only been here six years. Who am I to freaking terrorize them and say that they haven't figured out how to be an adult when I myself still struggle to be an adult and manage my emotions. So realizing the humility in that is also, I take myself a lot less serious in that. I'm okay letting the house burn down with emotions because that's just what it is this day. And that stuff they left off in the brochure when you become a dad. But to me, it comes back to your response, those two choices, presenting them and letting them choose, but ultimately you're creating as many scenarios as possible where they can accept responsibility for the choice either way. And for like my daughter getting out of bed, you know what, if she gets out of bed too late, she's got to take a shower still. And if she gets downstairs and she's running out the door and that anxiety that she has, that's her choice. And I simply just remind her like, you know what, if when I asked you the first time to get out of bed, that would have prevented this, but eventually that natural consequence, and this is something that takes like hundreds of times, and like, you just have to know that it's a long game. I think that's the hard part is parenting. They don't tell you is it's a long game with a lot of this stuff is you're just being example, you're repeating the process over and over, realizing that you're not giving them the power to control you and realizing that you have this ability to stay cool, calm and collective through whatever they throw at you. And there was a real random moment of a win. It felt like a million bucks. So we're at dinner table and they the kids, like most nights, they say this dinner is not, they don't like the dinner and they're worried that they're going to give me some like big thing and like I made a disgusting dinner. And I'm always talking about what I call dad words. So one of the ways that I try to reframe their vocabulary is, hey, let's try that again. So no matter what happens or they're trying to get my attention, be like, hey, let's try that again. Dad, looks like you're busy. When you get a second, can you help me with something? Like I'm always pulling it back and inserting new words. Going back to vocabulary is most of what our issues are. And so I've been doing that with dinner. And my daughter, six years old, says, Dad, I appreciate you. That you made dinner, but I don't want any of it. And this was something that I had inserted <laughs> on my own That's words. And awesome. I'm like, because usually they just say, like, this is horrible. And I'm like, you just washed away the half hour, 45 minutes that dad spent making dinner and not showing appreciation for it. I've probably spent a hundred times. I felt like a million bucks in this moment. I just melted because I was just like, oh, man, did that feel like it was a hard win but it felt so good. But that's the crux of vocabulary. You're just rewiring their vocabulary of showing appreciation when they say something bad, pulling it back, inserting some new words, moving on to the next one and
1: rinse and repeat over and over. So, so did you make something different for your child to eat or did you let them starve? just and we don't necessarily let Asking them starve, but
2: they usually have to eat something on the table and then maybe they'll get like a healthy snack later but there are some times where i make like the special dinner for them or some side thing that i know that they'll eat on top of what we're eating but there's just a lot of cases where they often like chicken they hate chicken and it's usually like they'll say the word disgusting i'm like disgusting's not a very nice word let's try a different word if you want to describe that you don't like this dinner so reworking in those and just understanding how to communicate which is what being an adult is, is communication with other people. So if they try first and they don't succeed, retract it. And then some certain new ones. And I'll, it's a thing now you're like, Hey, let's try some, add some dad words. And they now know what that means. And they throw dad words in there to make it sound better. And that's how you raise functioning adults is they have the right words to communicate with other people. It's good, not e- easier yeah. said than done, but this is kind of my philosophy as I'm early on in the R and D lab here, which it sounds like you are too, David. Yeah. Yeah, I got well, it. One, yeah.
0: one question, one scenario before we leave the bus stop. And <laughs> then Stu, because this may be this will be helpful for you uh maybe in the future. Stu's are a little younger than mine. So what do you do when the bus stop is whatever that you let them be late? Cause I let them uh I, I let them suffer consequences. And but here's my one concern is especially with the little dude, he'll be like, Cool, I'm late. I missed the bus. So do you
1: now I get to stay home take with them mommy just, and
0: play do, all day. Well, do you take them to school or do you, because I could also see, cause that little guy is so manipulative. He's six. Also, I could see either him being completely content and me taking him to school every day or what he's really going to go after is, Hey man, I'm just going to hang out at the house, which also is not. And I try to make that terrible for them too, but I have, uh, um, there's other resistance at home to, you know, We could talk about that later.
2: So in this case, because my youngest daughter doesn't want to go to school either. I essentially would say it's installing a boundary of that's not a choice that we have here. And this is the place that you need to go and this is the moment that needs to happen. And in this case, it would be like a consequence of like losing something or I've also seen like they have a list of like five minute chores that they have to do. We have some index cards of like five minute chores that as a consequence, they go pick a card and they have to do with like Clean the vac, vacuum something, or clean the railings, or something like, simple like that. And but it's essentially a boundary in this case of saying like that's not a choice. This is something we have to do. Um, and those boundaries are hard. But this is also where you need to remain calm as well because that communicates that this testing of the boundary is not something you're going to win at. That we have to get on the bus. And something that I don't know if it would work with a boy, but it works with my daughter is all I'll be like, all right, I'll message your teacher and say that you're going to miss day that really like freaks her out and gets her upset.
0: My um, daughter, that would work a hundred percent. Well, she has zero resistance, but my sons would be like, cool.
2: <laughs> I think I think in this case, then it just goes back to the boundary. And if you've never read Dr. Henry clouds book boundaries, that's a really good book that outlines a boundary audit in all areas of your life. Um, but yeah, that the boundary seems to be one of those that like, this is what has to happen. And also kind of laying out the outcome. Like when you think about those two choices, like, we have to get on the bus in 25 minutes. We have to get these three things done. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. And this case it's almost your own consequences of not getting that because then you're installing that boundary and letting one of your consequences do the talking for that what happens when you don't get on the bus.
1: And you you went to kind of some, some boundaries, some like you know, consequences taking things away. Uh, and, and this is starting to get into a, just a therapy session for Dave and I as, as dads. <laughs> so, you know, l- let's just go there. We, this is this, the crux of what people are listening and struggling yeah, with. So this yeah, is the juice. Yeah, man. So, um, a consequence for something they do, like you talked about taking away things you talked about doing, you know, you have a five minute chore. Um, what are, what are some of the tools that that you implement? because like, we, we typically go to like taking toys away or taking desserts away or something like that. And that doesn't seem to always work. We have a five-year-old son who is like super independent. Like he wants to like take the sharp knife out of the drawer and cut all of his own vegetables and jump off of super high things. And like always on the edge of like hurting himself, um, and doing everything for himself. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a constant daily struggle for us.
2: I don't disagree. And this isn't something I've mastered. I've struggled to come up with the consequences and I'm going to be honest here. We're going to we're going to pull out the real talk here. Yeah. Even if you have the right consequences, remembering what the hell you had as a consequence. That's honestly the real problem. It's not coming up with the first one. It's actually even freaking remembering what you issued as the consequence or even saying that you're going to have a consequence when we get home. Like most of the time, you don't even remember. Right. Like to me, that is the, the part of being a stay at home dad. That was probably the hardest is like just remembering all the things that you had, you did, or you said that you were going to do, like keeping your word is like a whole new level of testing. So to answer your question, though, I would say I've tried to stay away from because I've done things like taking away like screen time, taking away those different things, and it never really motivates them in the right way. And one thing that I really found was these five minute chores. It was through some training that I did for some adolescent or um, adolescent training for school age kids and he passed it on to us and essentially it was just a bunch of chores that take five minutes and this idea is that it's just something inconvenient that's small and that it doesn't take a lot of time i think that's just something that it's difficult to do when you're trying to be scream free because when you're actually like rising to feel the pressure on the inside your brain goes to like level 10 consequences but then sometimes it's maybe not level 10 or you like You're like, damn it, I shouldn't have went that far and because now you're regretting or maybe you're shitting yourself.
1: You mean like you mean like taking all like every single toy out of the room and like saying you're never going to get any of them back like that, that level 10? Correct. Again, same for a friend. Like I've never been there, but, you know, (laughs)
2: Uh, and this is why like having the plan prior to it also helps. Yeah. That you just, and I've also found that you don't actually have to issue the consequence in the moment that's happening. You can just say, "When we get back, you're gonna have a consequence," and that what allows you to think about it. I've I've had a lot of good success with that. Is we often try to issue the consequence in the moment. It's usually a very shitty one. It's never the right one. It's never well thought out, and it's our worst plan of attack. And it's already been tried and has probably failed already too. It's already one we've rinsed and repeated. Yeah. So like just issuing the word consequence and then circling back later with what that consequence is. Maybe after you talk to your wife, which I've done that like, hey, we had this situation happen today. What do you guys what do you think would be the right consequence for this behavior? So just issuing it and then putting a delay into it again, pausing that allows you to come up with better consequences. I've also sh- this is a little bit something that um, can be hard to tell in the moments, But at the same time, especially with young kids, There is this basic idea that I hold that all feelings are valid. And so the idea with that is that all feelings are valid, just like I said. But the problem is a lot of kids are just expressing a feeling in the wrong way. So not everything in my mind deserves a consequence. Sometimes it just deserves a teaching lesson of how we can handle that emotion better. So I don't always interfere with every emotion with the consequence because sometimes it's especially with my, my younger daughter, like she's just a rise and fall. She can go from zero to 10, half a second flat. And so in those moments, I'm more just being someone that sits there and holds her and hugs her or reminds her to take a deep breath. And remember Daniel Tiger that often when your kid's lids flipped open, taking deep breaths allows it to close down again. They can go back to being normal because the one thing that especially when I wish I would have did this better when they were younger, is that when they're younger, this rise and fall of their emotion, emotional regulation, is really taking hold. And so, it'd be better to teach them those techniques early on than trying to issue punishments early on. Because punishment to emotionally regulate isn't necessarily what we want them to do. We want them to realize this. And I burned the house down for a consequence. when the reality was, if I would just let the emotion ride and realize it's just an emotion, it's going to be over in a few seconds. it would have been back to normal. Like that's the, the bigger thing with kids is. They can be at 10 and five minutes later, they're back playing with each other. But parents jump in, burn the house down. And then that's where we often get lost in the sauce as well. And then shooting ourselves and feeling guilty for how we handled it. So I'm always thinking about, is this something I want to interact with? Is this something I want it? So I don't always pick every battle. Usually when the circumstances are really good, do I jump in and say, this is how I want it to handle? Or you know what? Like this is a great opportunity for me to issue a consequence, follow through on it. Because sometimes it's just a shit show, and I'm gonna let this one go because nothing's gonna come positive out of it. So I also pick and choose where I want to teach that lesson.
1: That's good, man. So what what are some just real quick? What are some of the examples of these you know quick five minute tasks that that you assign?
2: So sometimes it's like unload the dishes. Sometimes it's vacuum the floors. Sometimes it's dust like the the wind or the uh, TV and stuff like that. The end tables, yeah there's like to do something outside, right? Some of the easier ones is write a letter to someone like not even like things doesn't have to be chores. It's just nice things. Mm. So write a card or take something to next door to the neighbors as the thank you. Um, just something that inconveniences like that's more of the criteria and it doesn't have to be negative. It can be something that puts positive in the world as well. That's good, man.
0: It's good yeah, I, I, I i think if i uh enacted a house cleaning type thing i think my house would be immaculate spot with there it is i think i might have to do that yeah you know and, and one of the common themes that i'm hearing ben is that it's just a big part of this is just stop for a sec just in our own selves and being responsible to my kids and being responsible for myself is really just slowing that cycle down. Right. And you talked about the brain, the prefrontal cortex and, and, you know, being able to uh, just take a breath and get out of the cycle ourselves. Cause I think that's, for me, I'm a very reactionary person. I'm a very emotional person. And I immediately go to like a, you know, a fight or flight. And it's usually, it's usually not flight, right. It's usually like fight Whether whether it's just a reaction to just, you know, I've been wronged, you've disrespected me, now it's, you know, now it's go time. And I think that, you know, I love just the intentionality of taking a step back for a sec, removing yourself from the situation if you have to, and recognizing that these little people, one, they're a huge blessing in our lives. We love them, we adore them, we do anything for them. But at the same time, like, you know, I like how you frame that. Yeah, I am not great at adulting, so why should I expect them to be like these perfect little, uh you know that's
2: exactly what we do as adults, and we do it 10 times harder than we even do it we we hold more accountability to our kids than we do to each other which then creates what we have now as a responsibility crisis as adults even like a lot of people can't accept responsibility for their life
0: well and you make a great point and and it's it's looking forward right are we trying to create these 20 somethings that are going to live in our basement playing video games or are we trying to create human beings that can go out and be productive and and at least whatever they're going to do, if they're going to play video games, in the basement it's just not my basement or they're paying me nice rent. Right. And, and, and I, even those conversations, like with my daughter, I have few concerns that she's going to continue to be as nerdy as she is and, and as Excel as much as she does. But, but I've already started talking to her, like, Hey, 18, like, let's make let's take advantage of these next seven years you know, to, to, you know, our relationship and I love you and all this, but you're out at 18, like you got to figure it out. So, um, and not threatening, right. But just being very intentional with giving them words and vocabulary and understanding the expectations. And I think that that's such a, an important thing that we are losing quite a bit is this, this coddling, right. And this, well, I'm responsible. So I like how you frame that responsible to my kids, not for them. And then also being able to say, you know what, I don't really care what anybody else thinks, because it's important for us to recognize as parents, we're all in it. We're all in the mix. Like Sue and I send each other texts. Like that's all it says. I'm in the mix. Okay. Got it. And, and, and just being aware of the fact that, Hey man, we're all facing this struggle. So just the intentionality of, of, of doing that, uh, talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, your actual, no kidding. The dad coach program, like your coaching program and, and how that works and, and how people can, you know, plug into that.
2: Before I do that, I wanted to circle back to one thing you reminded me of that kind of gives me grace to what's going on is that we often go to parent-teacher conferences and we hear these great kids and human beings and we're like, where the hell are these kids coming from? Like, these aren't my kids, right? Every time. Well, it hit me one day that was like, uh, why do we get so stressed about how they behave at home when the place that counts is in the real world and they behave perfectly fine? And it also then taught me that when my daughter was being bullied last year in fourth grade, why do I spend so much time trying to be a hard ass at home when the world's already really good at that? Do they really need more teachers and that the world's hard and there's going to be people out there trying to pull them down and say mean things. And so it kind of also like one thought is like what they really need at the end of the day, they don't need me to figure out every solution to be a parent. They just need to be reminded they're good and they're loved and that the real you matters and our ability to help shepherd that into their life. Like, That at the end of the day is how I kind of frame whether I'm doing it right or wrong. Like as long as they know I'm loved, as long as they can come back here and feel loved, that's, what's going to produce healthy adults. And they've already become good adults in the real world. Everybody gives them praise. They're always being polite. This place should be the place where they can kind of let go a little bit and express themselves and relearn how to express themselves appropriately. But take yourself less serious. Like that's the part that don't get triggered when they disrespect you. It's like, this is just a learning exercise. It's not that serious in the real world where it counts. They are being respectful. So remembering that part of my coaching, for example, is a an idea that I kind of equate to in a very simple word home that most men transfer this idea of home into a mortgage, that this home is something that they pay a month and that this thing that they go to Hobby Lobby and buy things to hang around. But home is actually this place that you go to visit and build on the inside. That part of this process of slowing down, doing the inner work, figuring out who you are, expressing yourself for who you are, is creating a solid foundation and building your house on a rock. And what most men don't do, if you think of building a skyscraper, most men will build a skyscraper and never excavate down to bedrock. And they wonder why when they get to the 10th floor, one side's leaning. Because you need that bedrock contact in order to build a skyscraper 100 stories high. Part of my coaching is making sure we excavate down to bedrock. We build a solid foundation, and then we set you up with a vision of where you're going. And going back to the analogy of GPS, that often what a coach is to someone in this life or in their process is it's the advocate, like Google is, to get you to your destination. Google doesn't care if you swore at someone. Google doesn't care if you had a bad day. doesn't care if you gave someone the finger. It's always going to tell you, turn right here, or recalculating. It's always there. That's what a good coach is. So I help people go figure out where they are, figure out where they want to go, and then help them advocate to how to get there.
1: Dude, what what you just said um, was incredibly powerful to me. I, I, and and I'll I'll get a little bit vulnerable here and and just be be upfront. Like I, I've been pretty hard on my son at times. And and the other night, like he said something to me that that really crushed my soul. Like he he said, "I'm just not a good boy, and I don't like myself." And he's five, and it crushed me, man. Like. I, I left the room and like tears almost came because, you know, he said that. And like, I never want my son to like internally tell himself that he's bad and that he doesn't like himself. And, um, so what you just said there, man, was super powerful. I, I, I'm grateful for, for this conversation today because it's going to, it's going to change the way I'm parenting as a dad. And so, um, it's good, man. It's good.
2: What were you inspired to come back with after this conversation? I'm curious. Like, what do you feel your next right step is to quote frozen?
1: Man, I just, I mean, just, just, just understand that, like, just like you, what you said, like, I mean, he's, he's a great kid, you know, and, and he's good at school. He listens. He's, he's smart. Like he does amazing work and he's respectful. And, you know, sometimes like, I just need to understand that he has emotions. He's five and not to be so, such a, such a hard ass, so strict and maybe just show more love and grace than, um just you know to under just to think that he's gonna like mind me all the time you know and just be this like straight narrow kind of kid
2: the leave it to beaver is almost out the window and yeah. I, as i said like there's no award ceremony when they turn 18 for being the biggest hard ass yeah. like that never shows up and gets rewarded but that's often what dads hold on to and that we've got to hold on to that angle But what we also talk about with the masculinity of the crisis we have now is we want men to feel emotions and we want men to feel powerful. Both of those have to coexist equally and we have to be vulnerable with both and realize being vulnerable like your son, like even I'll give you this credit. The fact that your son said that to you institutes that he has a psychological safety with you that he knows that dad's not going to lose his crap on me because there's another version of another kid out there who felt that and didn't say it because his dad would yell. And extrapolate this when your kids are teenagers. This is my mindset for my daughters and my son. Early in life, they bring you these little things to test you. Mm -hmm. And to them, this is like losing their job, your job as an adult. But to them, these are real world problems like the kindergarten issues, the playground issues, the girl issues, whatever it may be. This is real world to them. And when you're there for the little things later in life, when they're at a party and they're not comfortable and things get out of control, or your daughter is in an uncomfortable situation. She's going to remember how you responded for the little things. (laughs) So take those little moments and treat them like these, this is his real world reality right now. And later in life, he'll he'll remember that dad's always there no matter what. doesn't matter whether it was in an accident, dad's going to have a response that's cool, calm and collective. And he's going to love me no matter what. And we're going to get through it because we can do anything together. I always tell my kids that no matter what you have going on, as long as we talk about it, we can get through it. And that's the most important muscle in my mind to build in that relationship. We often sacrifice so much of the relationship that we need to get through teenagers and burn it to the ground when they're younger. When reality is this is when it's fostering so that they trust us to bring us to things that trouble teenagers, but they often don't have the space to talk to their
0: parents about it. Yeah, it's good, man. It's pure gold. <clears throat> and I, uh, you know, my, my boys have been, they say that when, when they get in trouble, they're like, dad, you just don't like me. You don't love me or I'm the worst kid ever. And I've just resorted to right or wrong. I'm like, you're not the worst kid ever. You're terrible, but there are worse kids out there. I'm just kidding. I don't tell them that, but, but we've been talking a lot about like, Hey, you know, daddy loves you very much. Let's, let's work on this self-talk. Like, why do you feel that way? And, and, and so I think just being conscious of it helps you to get to a different level, but the way you just frame that is, is beautiful. Cause it, cause it. Really what we want, what we truly desire, most of us, if you're trying to be a good dad, you know, some, some, some parents out there are just, you know, um, just shouldn't be parents, but, but we really just want the best for our kids and we want to be the best for our kids. And oftentimes it just takes reframing. Well, what does that look like? What is the best for my kid? And fast forward, like you said, right now is the time. You know, right now is the time wherever you are with your kids in their life to build that foundation, not only your own foundation, like you talked about, but the relational foundation between you and them so that they have the strength and the rock to build from, uh, which, you know, ideally will go, will will be a lifelong relationship. And they'll always come back to dad for, you know, advice once they're out of their teenage years and they're not the smartest people in the world. And, you know, like we all went through, but then to come back to be able to be uh, that we are a resource for them, for their life, uh, a positive resource, which is is a really good mindset to have. So I love that. So thank you for I that. I just
2: learned uh, recently, and this answer is only like three weeks old in my mind, but when your kids do a bad thing and they translate it to a bad person, that you essentially reflect back as a mantra. You're not a bad person. You just did a bad thing. Yeah. And those two are different.
0: And, yeah, we talk about bad choices a lot in our house. You're not bad. Yeah, and like you just that, that in itself is
2: like a very core muscle to develop. And if you're not yeah. there, and if you're worried about yelling or shouting or the consequences, they're, they're going to develop it on their own. And the inner critic in our kid's mind comes from us. So we're the one that program it. So oftentimes realizing it halfway through, can be difficult because you're trying to unwind things like, damn it. That took, I remember that when they were four and I remember how that now was transplanted when they were 10 and just realizing that that, all floats through it.
1: That's good stuff, Ben. Um, we could probably go for another hour uh, with the uh, more more of a therapy session for us, uh, but uh, probably should probably should end it for our listeners um, so they can go co- uh, you know reach out to you uh, on their own and, and and find out more about you. So where where do we send people to uh, get in touch with you?
2: bencloy.com is my website there is a free design your legacy call that most dads don't actually think about their legacy of what they leave behind and if you were focused on work remember this what you do on this earth is important but what you'll leave behind is 10 times more important so if you're interested in understanding what kind of legacy you're leaving behind whether your behavior through wealth through understanding of how life works bencloy.com there's a free discovery call there waiting for you awesome man
1: well uh I really appreciate this. I, I, I took a ton away. I have some notes over here that I'm gonna take action on and, and uh I really appreciate it. Dave, you got anything else?
0: No, I bet just want to uh thank you. Thank you for your time, thank you for joining us, and and thank you for your work, man. And this is critical work, this is life-giving work, this is oftentimes life-saving work. Um, and it's just uh, you know, what you do for dads, what you do uh for dads will translate to how their kids turn out and and it's just an investment that you're making and i love your passion love that you've i love that you went through your identity crisis and this is where you ended up because uh men are benefiting and dads are benefiting specifically uh from what you bring so just i love it man you're a blessing and just so grateful for you so thank you very much
2: and as i learned the hard way it takes a lot of shit to make good soil but great soil bears great fruit and no matter where you are at in life, no matter what you've experienced, the shit of your life can be fertilizer and what grows from your garden can change your life. It's awesome, man.
1: Guys and gals, reach out to Ben. We'll put the website in the show notes, share this episode and screenshot it, share with people, tell people about uh, the podcast, tell people about uh, Ben and uh, most important, go fill the storehouse.
2: Thank you both, David. Yeah, and thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Today. Yeah, man. It was a lot of fun.
0: No, uh, Thank you, Ben. And thanks, friends. Make it a great day. See you. My dude, I absolutely loved that uh that interview. Loved everything that Ben had to say. And one thing that we talked about after signing off was as men and dads, we're told that there's so many roles that are important for us to play, right? Whether it's provider or you know, a title or whatever it may be, but the most important one is dad. It's the most critical role we play, most important, and it has the longest lasting impacts over anything else that we'll do. So I really, really appreciate it and 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 love that. Kind of wish we would have kept recording a little bit, but yeah. uh, you know, it's just a little gold nugget that we talked about after the fact.
1: For sure, man. Yeah. And and that, you know, we we've had similar conversations like that in the storehouse mastermind where where we define those roles. You know, the roles of a dad, what does that look like? What does that mean? Um and and taking some time and and sitting down and and, and writing that out, like defining that role, and then put an action to it. Um, you know, we did a webinar on it. Uh, we created a, a PDF that goes through that exercise that we did internally inside of our Storehouse Mastermind with with our with our men, uh, kinetic men. Um, and we're offering it uh, for free to you guys. Uh, go to storehouse310.com backslash roles, and, and you can download it. And if you want to watch, there's a replay of, of that uh, family roles um, webinar that we did on our YouTube page. You can watch that, but go through that. It's really helpful to understand and and dive into who you are as a dad, who you are as a parent, who you are as a man or, or a woman, and to find those and then put action to it and put stuff on the calendar that's going to make you better. So do it.
0: Do it. It's all about action. But before you can take action, you have to understand, as Ben said, where you're at. where you're going. You have to define those things. So writing them down could be the critical exercise that you perform to get on the path of growth and being your highest and best. Go get it.